Well, welcome to week three of our series entitled, How God Changes Us. We've been looking at a series entitled, Transformed, which has been dealing with the issue about how God changes us from the inside out so that we can actually experience the life that He's given us and longs to give us in Jesus Christ. Now, I think it helps a little bit just to kind of recap where we've been, so to put some orientation around it as we move forward. And so let's, let's, a few weeks ago, before we kind of jumped into the series, we kind of did a warm-up. We kind of did a preseason kickoff, if you will. And what we talked about in that journey was that there's a need for you and I to make commitments. There's a need for you and I to set goals if we're going to be able to grow into the person that God can create us to be. You know, God has a plan for us. God is a God who loves to plan out the future. He has a plan for us. There's some parts of that that you and I aren't going to figure out except for along the journey. God's going to give us direction to take this job or this job or buy this house or that house, and the list kind of goes on. But there's lots of pieces of God's life for us, his plan for us that's already been stated, carte blanche, there is no discussion about it, when God says simply like, says, love your neighbor as yourself. No need to think about it. That's God's plan for you, Right? So what is it then that what commitments do you need to be making? What goals do you need to be establishing to be living that out? When God says to you, be ye holy as I am holy, that's God's plan for you. There is no doubt about that. There's nothing to pray about. The only thing is what commitments is God leading you to make in order to become that person? And so the fundamental idea that we've been looking at is that you and I will never become the person God intends us to be until we intend to become the person God wants us to be. Just, just not going to happen. So you and I need to be thinking about the commitments, the goals that we need to be setting in our lives. Now, we're not trying to get you to set up to run a marathon 10 days from now. We, we know this is a lifelong journey, but if you and I aren't setting some goals for the three-month mark, the one-year mark, the five-year mark, in terms of how we want to grow and who we are as the children of God, the ways that we're grow in the ways that we're loving our neighbors as ourselves, as we're becoming more holy as he is holy, as we're learning how to forgive and et cetera, then we're never going to get in those directions. We're never going to make that direction. We're never going to move forward in, that, in, in becoming who God intends us to be because we've never really intended to become that person. So we started out by looking at several elements of what does it take, what areas of our lives should we be making commitments in or setting goals in. The first of those, and I'm recapping and moving very quickly here, um, was we looked at our spiritual lives. You know, we, we recognize that God's not trying to make us a better person, that God has created us to be new people in Jesus Christ. This isn't just a self-improvement plan. This is where God steps into our lives, and because we're in Christ, we become new creatures. If any man be in Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God speaks to us. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away and the new has come. And so we are new creatures. We have a brand new life that comes to us from God by our faith in him. And there's ways in which we have to nurture that new life spiritually. And we looked at things like loving God supremely and praying, being in the word of God, serving, loving others. And we talked about giving as we did our study throughout the course of the week. I'm sure your life group was probably like mine, where the particular material that was shared with us about the idea of giving became quite a conversation point in your life group. You know, and 
But the point that was being made, and I think it's, is that when you and I, in any of these disciplines, including the area of giving, if we're not doing what's right in the eyes of God, it has spiritual consequences for our health, period. Now, my conviction from the days I started my ministry through my own study of the Word of God is that God expects me to give at least a tithe or a tenth of what I make. And I've been, Christina and I have done that from the very first day of our marriage. I was doing that before I got married. And, and, and we've been living that out and tried to raise it a little bit through the course of the years. For us, that's a part of the way that God feeds us spiritually as we find ourselves obedient to what he showed to us. Some of you may say, well, I don't believe the Bible teaches that. That's fine, sort of. But the biggest thing is that you need to make sure you figure out what the Bible teaches about this. This is not a decision that you make based upon your bank account. It's a decision you make upon what God has said. And then you pull everything. And when we don't, it has spiritual consequences for us. Just like all these other disciplines of sharing our faith, being in the Word of God, praying, loving God supremely, those kinds of things. The second week, we looked at physical health. So we started out with our spiritual health, but we know that our bodies are, are, are part of who we are in Christ, that we are body, soul, and spirit, and those things are inseparable. So our physical health has an impact on who we are, and it has an impact on our relationship with God. So in our message last week from Psalm 23, we saw how faith is a resource to deal with the many things that stress us out and create physical issues in our lives. We looked at Psalm 23, and we saw how God has a solution for our worry by looking to him for our greatest needs and for busyness as we learn how to take rest. And you can fall fear of the future as we think about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And so there, there are resources, faith resources, that help us deal with the things that stress us out, which actually improves our spiritual, our physical lives, and God has given to that to us as a gift. We also look at, in our, through our, throughout the course of our week of study, that we have a far better reason to take care of our bodies than simply just to feel good and look good to others. And then what we really discovered is that the way we take care of our bodies is really a big reflection of what we think about God. Because God has given you, your, you a body to use as a gift in serving him, and how you take care of it and how you use it and how you possess it is a reflection of what you believe about God, period. And so it's not just a matter of staying healthy, doing this and that, but God has given you your body as a way to honor him and to serve him, and how you take care of it is a reflection on what you believe about God. Now today, we're going to look at a whole different subject matter. And listen, these are big chunks of our lives, and so a couple things, I really encourage you to take notes, and there's an outline in your, your guide, because these are things that you can use to create reflection in the months ahead as you go, as you go forward. Of course, the messages will continue to be online, and you can always get to those, but, but today we want to look at the area of our health and our, our spiritual journeys, and we want to look at our, our mental lives. We want to think about how we think, right, what's going on between our ears, our mental health. And here's a statement I want to make to you. If you don't get anything else, if you're already checking out, you're wondering if they're roasted in the oven or whatever, you're going to make your brunch, brunch thing, whatever. If you don't get anything else, get this point. God is far more interested in changing the way you think than he is in changing your circumstances. God is far more interested in changing the way you think than he is in changing your circumstances. Now, don't go home and say, well, you know, I don't think Pastor Neil's right. God, you know, God does want to change our circumstances. I agree. God invites us to pray 
to be healed. That would change our circumstance. God invites us for, to pray for him to give us our daily bread. That would change our circumstances. I, I get that stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that God doesn't have an interest in changing our circumstances. What I am saying, when you look at the entire witness of Scripture, God is far more interested in changing your mind, how you think, than he is in changing your circumstances. And one of the greatest challenges that we have in living a life that's healthy and full, being really the, the people of God, being the person we are to be in Christ, is learning how to join God in this light, his life-giving activity of changing the way that we think. Changing the way we think, what we believe, and with that, how it flows. And so I want to give you some things. I'm going to move very quickly, you know, because I know it's Mother's Day, you've got plans and all those kinds of things, and so do we, you know. And, and so, but there, there's just some things that we need to remember and then some practices that we need to adopt that allow us to get to a place where we really are letting God change the way we think. And here are some truths that I want you to see. When you and I think about the way we think and how it's important, I want you to understand the way that you think impacts, it directs, it shapes the actual way that you live your life. It impacts. How you think impacts, it directs, it shapes, it guides, it governs the way that you actually live your life. I'm going to share a verse with you from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And, you know, where, where the author of Proverbs says to us, guard your heart above all else. For it is the source, it is the thing that gives shape it's from where your life comes from. You're saying, well, you know, Pastor, you're talking about our minds, and this is using the word our heart, and our heart is the seat of our emotions, and it's not the seat of, of, of our thoughts. That's not the way the Hebrews used it. When they used the word heart, they were referring to the inner man. This was the place from, not which, you know, it, it included their feelings, but it was much more what, what they willed, what they thought, what they, you know, what they believed. And so when they used this word heart, it, it really referred to the deep, what makes us ourselves and what governs how we guide our lives, and they refer to that as our heart. We would use the word today, our minds, our wills, our sense of directions, our beliefs, our value sets, all those kinds of things. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it to bring out this truth. It says, it says be careful how you think, because your life is shaped by what you think. And I want to tell you, I believe that's true. You know, every thought that we have, every, every action that we take, starts with a thought. Now, I said action. I didn't say reaction. We often react to things without thinking, but every action that we take begins with a thought. We actually have to think it, and then we do it. Sometimes it's subconsciously, but it's still going on in our minds. Other things are far more intentional, but every action that we take starts with a thought. Not every reaction. You know, reaction, sometimes you just react to what's going on, right? You know, I'm just a kind of a, a little dose of humility for me right now. And I'll, I'll tell you this story. You know, there was a, a time when, when Christina and I, one of the great joys we had, we, we got to go see a lot of baseball games that our kids played in. I, one time I counted them up, I think we saw more than 500 baseball games while the kids were playing in Little League and then in, Le and in Babe Ruth and then in Legion and then in college. And we just saw lots of games, right? So our youngest son one time was playing on an American Legion team, and it was an early Saturday morning game. It was out in some 
town that was way too far away. So we get there on the Saturday morning. It's pretty nice out. We got our Dunkin' Donuts coffee. We got our, got our folding chairs out. I got the paper with me, right, you know, for the boring parts and that kind of stuff. And, and we're, we're, we're sitting there, and, and, and one of the kids just, we're sitting down the left field line. This kid just turns on one and hits this foul ball, and it's coming right at us, right? So I'm sitting on the left. Christina's on my right, and the ball is coming right at me, right? And so I react, and I dive left, right? And the ball is bending back, and it hits Christina right on the elbow. So there's two things that immediately started to be said around the area. One was, don't rub it, because that's what baseball players say. You're never supposed to rub it, you know, when you get hit by a pitch. You watch the major league guys. They never touch where they get hit. They run down to first, and, but they never touch it. The other thing is they're saying, boo, they're doing this to me, right? Because I reacted, but I got to tell you what we think drives our actions, right? And, and you and I, in the midst of this, we, we have this tremendous ability to rationalize. We can somehow create reasons that what we're doing is absolutely necessary, even though it's harmful and it's spiritually harmful to us. You know, there was a time when I was in college, I, I used to have this car, this, I had a 1974 Mercury Comet, right? When it got older, the, 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 it had one of those vinyl roofs, and it was, it was kind of like peeling up and peeling. It looked like a snake trying to lose its skin. And so, but it was the only car I had, and, and I was in college. I didn't have any money, and I, and I was working. And I needed to go to work, to, you know, and the car wasn't running right, and that guy had a problem, and et cetera. So it, it, it had a broken spring that really needed to be welded. So we had a welder at the house. I, I don't know why, but we had a welder at the house. I didn't know how to use it, but we started, started using it. And, and um. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this myself. So I get the car out on the driveway, get it up in jacks, I get everything all aligned, and I get up underneath there with the welder and with the mask, right? And I can't see anything. You know, it's got, you've got those dark shadow things on it. I can't see anything. I'm, and, and after a couple of tries and no arc and then arcs in places I didn't want it, I'm thinking, I'm going to hit the gas tank and blow myself up, you know? And so, but I really need this car. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to take the mask off. And I'm just going to go up, and as soon as it starts arcing, I'll close my eyes. You know what? That made perfect sense. You know, it just made perfect sense, you know, and it's not going to hurt. And so I start, and I actually got it welded. took a little bit, and I got it welded, and everything was fine. So you say, hey, you see that? Success. About 2 o'clock in the morning, I wake up, and my eyes are watering, and they're singing, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm never going to see again. I'm going to be blind, you know. And it, it turned out the next morning, my mom took me to an ophthalmologist because I, I couldn't even see. I had to keep my eyes closed. And he takes a good look at them, and he says, you know, you just, you just torched the whole backside of your eyeballs. And, you know, you got to wait for all that stuff to fall off that got burned. and then So he puts these pads on my eyes or whatever, and I got them on my eyes for like 48 hours or whatever. But I got to tell you, it made perfect sense in that morning. Perfect sense. We, you know, what we think, guys, what we do, and we better be very careful about what we're thinking because it directs or guides what we're doing with our lives, how we're acting in our lives. You know, that's why the Apostle Paul put it this way in the book of Colossians. He said, you know what? Set your mind on the things that are above, right? You know? And I said, Set your minds on what is above and not on what is on the earth. You know what? You want to be thinking about the stuff that's, that matters for eternity, not the stuff that's going on here because that's what's going to drive you. In much the same way in Psalm chapter 15, verse 2, you see this passage of Scripture come up. It says, the one who lives honestly, the one who practices righteousness, in other words, the one who's experiencing life the way that God wants to give it, 
This is the one who in their heart, their mind, is acknowledging truth. They're thinking truth. They're agreeing with truth. And so what you and I think actually directs, it shapes, it governs, it, it basically creates who we're going to be and how we're going to live as we do our lives. And, and boy, I've got to tell you, that that's not a reason to really think about what you're thinking about. I don't know what it is. The second thing I want you to see, just real quickly, is that your mind is the primary spiritual warfare battlefield in your life. Spiritual warfare primarily takes place between your ears. We think it's, there's, I know there's spiritual warfare, in life, but when it comes to our lives personally, in the way we're living our lives, how we're responding to God's leadership, God's grace in our lives, God's direction, it takes place between our ears. It takes place in our minds. Let me read a passage to you from Psalm from the book of Romans, chapter 7. Now, this is the Apostle Paul, right? He's not, he's not just beginning in this journey. He's been a believer for a long time. And this is what he writes. It says, so from my inner self, in my mind, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, and they're waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Paul said, you know, up here, I know what I want to do. I know who I'm supposed to be, etc. But my old self, this law of sin that's within me, the thing that I've been forgiven for, but it's not completely eradicated from my life yet, that, that is waging war against what I'm thinking in my mind. And i got to tell you, the primary place of spiritual warfare for the most majority of us is in our heads. We think a lot of times it's our circumstances that surround us, right? But, it, but it's not. It's what's going on inside of our heads that is the primary place that's going, of our spiritual warfare. It's the primary place where you and I win the battle or lose the battle to either be the child of God or to do something else. That's where it takes place. i, I got to tell you, when I was working with college students, you know, when I was in, in seminary, we were, I was on a church staff, and my role was to develop a college ministry. They had had a healthy one. It kind of died off, and they asked me to kind of restart it, and I, I was really honored. And so we, we took this role, and Christina and I were both kind of on the staff to a certain extent at the church. She was playing the church organ, and, and it, was, it was a good-sized church, seven or 800 people. And so we had, a camp, we had a large campus. Literally, we were right on the edge of the large campus of the University of North Texas, Right across town, 10 minutes was Texas Women's University. And so, you know, and, and, the, and the ministry really grew. But I got to tell you, one of the most frequent questions I got asked by guys in particular, never really by girls, but by guys, was, well, what's it okay to do on a date? And they were really referring to their, the physical relationship that they had with the girls they were dating. And, you know, I would give them some guidance and that kind of stuff, but I always gave them this particular counsel. You know, you need to make up your mind what's right before God before you ever get in the car to go pick her up. Because i got to tell you, if, 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 you're, if you're waiting until you've already had dinner, you've been to the movies, you've been holding hands and, you know, rubbing her knee and all that kind of stuff, you've done all that stuff, and now you, and then you start to figure out when you're, you're parked at, you know, Lover's Point or wherever, or you, you, you think you're going back to your dorm room or whatever, and you start thinking, well, wh what's okay for you? You've already lost. Because everything with it is, that, you know, the juices are already churning. And if you're not controlling what's going on inside by what you've already decided in your head, you've already lost. The battle's already over. And so spiritual warfare is primarily takes place in our minds. 
It's the third truth I want you to see. How you think is the key, is the key to whether you're going to have peace or not. How you think is the key to whether you're going to have peace or not. Look at this passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 8. For the mindset of the flesh, in other words, the one who's thinking is governed by just life here, the world, how we see things, that kind of stuff, it's headed for death. It's headed for destruction. It's, it's headed for chaos and pain and worry and tension and strife and conflict. It's headed for all that stuff. But the mindset of the Spirit, in other words, the one whose thoughts are focused on what God is saying to him through the Holy Spirit, in that is life and peace. And peace. A lot of us, we're, we're, we're praying for God to change this circumstance. And then we get frustrated we can't change people, et cetera, so we can have peace in our life. I got to tell you, it starts right here. It starts right here. The mindset of, of, of the Spirit, focusing our thoughts on the thoughts that God has given us through the Holy Spirit, is the place where you and I find confidence and strength and peace and tranquility and hope and joy and love. It's the place where we're victorious. It starts with what we're thinking between our ears. Look at this passage from, from the book of Isaiah. He says, you will keep in perfect peace. This is, this is a promise that God's given, or, or Isaiah is stating a promise that God has given. He says, you will keep in perfect peace the mind that is dependent on you, for it is trusting in you. We have a mind who's wrapping its thoughts around the thoughts of God. We're depending upon it. God says, I'm going to keep that mind in perfect if you're not at peace, it's because your thoughts are not governed by the thoughts of God. It's the bottom line. So how is it that you and I then can change our minds? How is it that we join with God and actually allow Him to change the way we think? And, you know, obviously I can't give you every single piece of this, but let me give you a few big pieces that go with this. And, you know, I know our time is running short, so you listen quick. I'll talk really fast. Maybe somewhere in the midst of all of that, the Holy Spirit will give a couple things you can use. But the first thing is you've got to feed your mind with truth. You have to feed your mind with truth. If you are not regularly and consistently and meaningfully feeding your mind with truth, you're in jeopardy. Your spiritual health, your relationship with God in terms of the quality of that relationship, it's in jeopardy because we need to be Feeding our minds with truth. Just like we are what we eat, what we feed our minds is what we think, and we need to be feeding our minds truth. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 4, 4. He says, man must not live on bread alone. It shouldn't just be what we can get and, and consume, but we need to be living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The way we feed our spirit, the way we feed our minds, the way we become the people where what nourishes us is to flow and to be consuming eating, digesting what God's truth as he gives it to us in every word. Jesus said really the same thing. as He's talking about it to his disciples. He said, you know what? If you abide in my word, in other words, if you're regularly consuming my word, this is what God, Jesus said. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. You and I need to be consistently feeding ourselves the truth of God. That's why we're always here at Hope Chapel trying to encourage you to 
not only be a regular attendant in worship so you can be, you know, get some teaching on Sunday mornings and encouragement for you to be in a life group and, and be studying the Word of God with other people, for you to, we are regularly offering you Bible reading plans and other kind of special things so you can be feeding yourself individually because we need to be digesting and consuming the Word of God in order for us to change the way we think so God can release His peace in us as we go forward. Am I kind of agitated? Sorry. I'll have to cut down the coffee just a little bit. You know, um, Rick Warren tells a story of, of being invited to go over to Oxford and Cambridge universities to speak. And he said that really the most interesting experience he had when he was there was he was invited to go to a special morning meeting. There's just a group of, of, of leaders from the, from the universities who got together every morning like at 5.30, 6 a.m. And they called themselves the Oxford Analytica. And what they, they did is they got together and they reviewed the world's events from the previous 24 hours. Whether it was, you know, an earthquake that took place in Japan or, you know, a, a fresh conflict in the Middle East or, or you know, a, a hurricane that hit the, the West Coast or, or, or whatever. You know, they, they would, and then they would say, who is the best person to provide us insight into what's really going on in there? And then they would contact that person and get their feedback, get their input before the middle of the day. And they put it together into like a communique. And literally governments from all over the world would pay to get that report on a daily basis. And the reason why is in order to make the best decisions, the best leaders need to have the best information. And I got to tell you, as the leader of your life, before God, if you don't have the best information coming from God, you're not going to make the best decisions. Period. You know, if you want to look at our history, and I don't want to get into a lot of political stuff, I don't do that, but, but clearly what, what, what they say was their motivation, when we think about President Bush and the Iraq War, they say their motivation was that they were really convinced that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and it was going to hurt lots of people around the region, and they needed to do something about it. They had wrong information, and with that they made not the best decisions, and, and, and they turned out, with that, they couldn't exercise great leadership. i got to tell you, if you're not giving yourself the word of God, you're not getting the best information about how to live your life. You're just not. And, and we need to be in the word of God. The second thing I want to tell you, because we're moving quickly here, is that you just have to be prepared for the struggle that's going to go, that goes with thinking the thoughts of God. There are going to be intellectual adversaries that are going to try to speak into your mind and get you to go in a different direction. Some of that's going to come from within. That's the old nature. We just looked at that in the, in the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. You know, he said, you know what, the old nature, this law of sin that's in, is a part of my body, it's, it's fighting against my mind. Some of us, we're consistently going to be hearing from our old nature, trying to draw us back into habits and practices and thought schemes and those kinds of things that are not consistent with the Word of God. And, and we're going to be struggling with that. Some of that's going to come from the world, and the world particularly that's underneath the, the, the leadership, if you will, of the evil one. Now, let me sh share a passage with you in First John chapter 2. It's going to come up. It says, you know, John, John's writing to this church that he cares about passionately. He says, says, don't love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. There's, there's no 50 50. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in, in you. Because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle, in other words, a life that says it's really about me. Says none of that is consistent with God. 
is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world, with its lust, is passing away, but the one who does God's will will remain forever. He says, if you and I are adopting a thought pattern that says, you know what, it's really about me. I've got to look out for number one. I've got to do what, what you know, I've got to tell you, we're already, th- because life is not about you, it's about God. Life is about God and what God wants you to do with your life to glorify him, honor him, serve others in his name. It's about God. It's not about you. And, and if we're looking at life and we're following the world's message, we're saying it's about you. You deserve this. You should be able to do this. It's your body. You can do whatever you want, that kind of stuff. I got to tell you, we are already losing the battle. And those adversaries are going to be coming, our old nature and the ways of the world. It's going to be coming all the time. And if you and I aren't fighting it and leaning on other believers to help encourage us in that journey, we're going to really struggle to be successful and really change in the way that we think. I got one more that I really want to plant in your minds before we, we kind of rush to the end. And this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to pull up a couple of verses here. It says, this is what Paul's writing. He says, for although we are walking in the flesh, in other words, we're still alive, we're still on the planet, right? So we do not wage war in the flesh. In other words, we're not trying to do life just by what we can get from our flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We're going to come back to strongholds in just a minute. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God taking every thought captive, we're going to talk about that in a minute too, to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about strongholds for just a minute. What's a stronghold? Let me give you this simple definition. A stronghold is a lie that you and I believe. That's a stronghold. It's just, it's a lie that you and I believe. And because we believe it, we hold it, we think it, it guides what we do, and it becomes a stronghold in our lives. And and I've got to tell you, if you and I are going to change the way we think, and with that allow the way God, we live to change, as God takes control of our minds with his truth, is that you and I need to learn how to strike down these strongholds, demolish them. Here's some strong, just, this is just a, a, a little sampling. Sometimes this thought comes in and says, you know what, God really can't love me the way I am. That's a lie. That's a lie. God so loves the world. For you to say, or this idea, God can't really forgive me for what I've done. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. I don't matter much. It's a lie. God has made you one of his precious children through your faith in Christ. That's a lie. How about this one? I know what's best for me. I know what will make me happy. That's a lie. God knows what's best for you. God knows what will make you happy. You know, and, and but we, I can't have joy unless all my problems are removed. That's a lie. It's a lie. And you could, you could just keep going right I don't matter. I'm not worthy. I can't do anything. All that is lies. And we accept this stuff in, and it governs the way we're living our lives. And God's saying, you know what? You need to take the resources that aren't flesh fought with fleshly things, not just self-help kind of thinking and positive stuff. You need to take the truth of God, apply it to it, and you need to demolish those strongholds. You need to leave it like the, like the city of Jerusalem was when the Romans got done with it. No rocks left on top of another. We need to just demolish that stuff. How do we take our minds captive to Christ? I don't know how you're going to deal with the rest of this, but get this thought. Some of us don't believe that we really can manage our thoughts. And I'm going to tell you, you really can't be the person 
God wants you to be unless you are managing your thoughts. We just think, well, whatever comes to my mind comes to my mind. I got to tell you, uh, you need to manage your thoughts. You need to take captive. That word literally means to conquer. We need to conquer what's going on in our minds if you and I are really going to be changed. Just, just a couple things. How do you do that? How do you and I get to a place where we can make our minds behave? <laughs> right? I mean, I, you know, you can't make your kids behave, you know, but maybe you can, get make, you can make your minds behave. And, and, and Paul talks about this in this passage in verse 5 that we just looked at. I want to give you just a few things. First of all, you have to think about and you've got to meditate on the Word of God. You've got to think about and you've got to meditate on the Word of God. You've got to read it. You've got to memorize it. You've got to reflect on it. You've got to do it. And then you've got to go back and start all over again. You have to think about and meditate on the Word of God. Some great psalms. Psalm 119, 11. Now, um, I have treasured. In other words, I bring in and I hold on to, and I hold up as priceless, your word in my heart so that I don't sin against you. Verse 15, the same psalm. I will meditate on your precepts. I will think about your teachings to me and, 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 and think about your ways. We need to be doing this stuff in our lives. Uh, you know, I, I didn't realize into this week and, you know, just looking into some different information, but the... the the church that piloted this material that we're using, Saddleback Community Church, their church memorizes the passage of Scripture every single week. Every single week. And so, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, and, and that's where a lot of the power is coming from because people are being changed. If you, if you want to be a life group leader in their church, you have to go through a 72-week, that's a six-year systematic theology class, so you know the word, you know the truth, you know how it's all put together before you can ever begin to teach. They're meditating, reflecting on the word of God. That's one of the reasons why in one of the most secular environments in the world, you've had a church that's flourished, that's running over 20,000 people on a weekend and having over 30,000 people in a life group because they're meditating and reflecting and thinking about the word of God. And that's what we're always encountering you to do. Second truth, you've got to think about Jesus, you know. Like, <laughs> we're going to pull Hebrews chapter 12, I mean, some of you would go into the office. You'll see on, on the, on the, uh, on the uh, door frame of my office now, you know, I have a sign that says, what would Jesus brew? You know, because I'm into coffee, right? So what would Jesus brew? But we want to think about what would Jesus think? What would Jesus do? Look, look what the author of Hebrews says. You know, in order to not grow weary and lose heart, in other words, not to give up in the struggle, not lose the fight for our minds, not, not, win, the conquer, not win the battle of conquering and bringing our thoughts obedient to Christ, he says, if you don't want to do this, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and that despised the shame and, and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him, so keep your eyes on, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you can not grow weary and lose heart. We, we've got to think about Jesus. Last truth I want to give you in terms of taking our minds caught. We've got to think about the Word of God. We need to be thinking about Jesus, and, and, and we need to be thinking about eternity. You know, and maybe I haven't challenged us enough with eternity, be thinking about eternity and that kind of stuff, but I've got to tell you, you and I will not maintain a perspective that allows us to be, see what's really valuable and lasting and what we really should be thinking about if we don't keep a good eye on eternity. This is why in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, as they're getting ready to go in a tremendous time of testing, he says, you know what? 
You need to get your minds ready so that you can think deeply about the grace that's going to be brought to you when Jesus comes back. You, know, you, you need to keep it in perspective. You know, and, and you need to have that eternal perspective. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul talked about the fact, you know, what God's, what God's preparing for you, you can't even dream about it so great. And he's using that as a motivation to say, don't give up. Fight the struggle. Take control of your thoughts and, and let God change it so you can move forward in your journey. You know, um, I, you know just... If you and I are going to be people who win this battle of controlling our thoughts, we've got to really know what's valuable over the long term. You know, you know, you, you, you know a two-year-old has a meltdown in the aisle at the grocery store because they can't have a little $2 toy. You probably haven't done that in a while because you've got just a little bit more perspective. But I've got to tell you, there's even ways as adults we can get so consumed with something that's just a short period thing that we lose all perspective. For eternity, you got to think about eternity. Anyways, a lot of stuff. I, w- I want to conclude you with just thought. Just, what are you really thinking about? What are you really thinking about? And are those the things that's going to lead you deeper into the blessings that God's trying to pour out to you in your life through Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word today. A lot here. You know, Father, I just pray your spirit would just take some of it, just plant it in, and, and just as it gets nourished and watered, it would come, come up and create great fruit in our lives. You know, God, there's, there's a lot here. Thank you for our minds. They're incredible organs. We pray, Father, that we would take captive every thought. So there's not a single thing that you're trying to leave on the you're trying to give us that we don't leave any of those gifts on the table. We take full advantage of them as we walk with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to conclude our service as we always always do with a chance for you to one sing some praises to God. Secondly, to worship God through your gifts. It's also just a time for you to maybe solidify, just to say, you know what, this is a commitment I need to make about what I've just heard. And I need to work that out over the next two to three months. So let's stand together as we sing and conclude our service together.